The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. Okay, first of all, I just want to say my husband and I did not mean to dress alike today. (laughs) I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we both have slouchy gray sweaters on. Um, I don't know, slouchy? Okay, whatever. (laughs) Clearly, I did not look at him close enough as he left this morning before I decided what I was going to wear, but it's okay. No, I love you, babe. Um, Today, we are starting a new series. It's just a short one, and it's called Talk Turkey. And um, I don't know about you, but if you're like me, I just keep thinking of the the phrase from the 70s, jive turkey. (laughs) Anybody anybody old enough to remember jive turkey? Jive turkey. Anyway, what if... (laughs) Jive turkey means like you're telling a lie. What if instead of uh, jive turkey, like we shouted out, that's no jive turkey instead of um, amen? <laughs> Can you imagine? So if you want to amen today, just say, that's no jive turkey. Okay, anyway. <laughs> no, uh, talk turkey means to have a straightforward, honest uh, conversation. And so that's what we're going to do today. I'm going to talk straightforward and honest with you. And... It's so important as we come into a worship service or as we approach reading the Bible or whatever it may be, when we come to the Holy Spirit to really be ready and open, to have our hearts open for Him to talk straightforwardly to us, to be honest with us, and for us just to have that um, humility that it takes for Him to speak to us. So with that in mind, will you pray with me this morning? Lord, I do pray today that you would speak to us, God. We are listening. God, we open our hearts and our minds to what you want to do and say to us today. And so, God, I pray today that you would take my words and make them personal to each person in here, that you would minister and shine your light where you want to in their lives. And God, I pray that we would not just merely listen, but we would be doers of what you're asking of us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're talking about gratitude, and I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh yeah, isn't that cute? That's what we do leading up to Thanksgiving every year. We talk about gratitude. And if you have not moved on already to Christmas decorations, you might have, you know, a sign in your house that says, give thanks or be grateful or something like that, because that's what we do in November, right? Many of you on Facebook, too, every day post something you're grateful for leading up to Thanksgiving. And in a few weeks around the table, if you're like us at our table, we will go around and say things that we're grateful for. And some people at the table will begin to cry and others will be like, can we just eat the turkey, please? You know, um, it gets a little bit crazy. And we can be grateful. There are lots of things to be grateful for. We can say things we're grateful for. If we were to popcorn around the room, I have no doubt that we, there would be no end to things that we're grateful for. And some of us would say things like family, and I'm thankful for my health, and others of you might be a little weird. You might say things like, I'm grateful for Dr. Pepper, Cheez-Its, and Ryan Gosling. I don't know. No? Just me? Okay. Whatever. <laughs> I know, babe. Love you. <laughs> That's no job. Thank you. <laughs> It's, it's going to come into style, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> anyway, okay. So it's easy to say things we're grateful for. It's easy just to talk about gratitude. But is gratitude something that we are marked by? As people who love Jesus, who choose to follow Christ, I really think that it should be something not just that we do, 
or that we focus on once in a while, every once, you know, a year on a day or once in a year during this month, but it should be something that our lives are marked by. So I have some questions for you. And truthfully, as I wrote these down, I began to tear up because I felt convicted by these questions myself, but is thankfulness the default attitude in your life? Think about it. Is it the knee-jerk reaction you have to circumstances in an average day? Is gratitude what gets communicated to the people around you in your words and your grunts? When you come to the Lord in prayer, do you run out of time to even get to your prayer requests because you're so overwhelmed with all that God has given to you and done for you and who he is and given him thanks for all of that? For me, I would say on an average day, I probably would answer no to a lot of those questions. I don't think the people around me would always say I'm marked by gratitude. That that's not necessarily my knee-jerk action or reaction to the things around me. Probably, if I'm honest, probably complaint gets expressed more than gratitude gets expressed out of me. Complaints about busyness, about who, you know, is using a brand new towel every single day and leaving it on the floor. (laughs) Complaints about things around me. I'm pretty sure that as I approach the Lord, that I am overjoyed to get to my to-do list for God, my honey-do list. Can you do this and this and this and this? Before I've even really, really taken time to acknowledge all that he has already done for me. And yet, I know if I could grab a hold, if you could grab a hold of true gratefulness, that it could change us. If we would really meditate on all that God has done and is in our lives, if we would meditate on that, it would begin to metabolize and become part of our speech, become part of our thoughts and our attitudes. I know if we could let gratefulness be the filter, it would really change our circumstances. It would change our lives and maybe the lives of the people around us. Because if what keeps us up at night were suddenly filtered through gratitude and through gratefulness, I would have to be reminded and remember how God has taken care of me all along the way. And that surely what's keeping me up tonight, he's got that too. If I would remember gratitude, so much of what causes a rub in relationships or conflict in relationships would no longer be a conflict because what comes out of my mouth would be filtered through gratitude for this person in my life. Even our physical bodies would be healthier if we would filter our thoughts and our words and our attitudes through gratitude. Do the research. Thankfulness is powerful because when we are grateful, if we have true gratefulness, it always wins out over all that other stuff. It is hard to be selfish and grateful. It's really hard to be stingy and grateful. It's hard to feel a slight and feel frustrated with somebody and be grateful. It's hard to be bitter and grateful at the same time because true gratefulness wins, pushes out all the other stuff. Because when I'm grateful, my thoughts are like this. Man, wow, God, you've really blessed me. 
The people around me, Lord, thank you for putting them in my life. You have given me so much. How would I possibly not be generous to the people around me? God, you've forgiven me for so much. Oh, I remember, Lord. I was so selfish that time, and you forgave me. I was so mean to that person, and when I went to them, they forgave me. How could I possibly withhold that forgiveness from someone else? That's our thoughts when we are grateful. And clearly expressed gratitude to him and to the people around us is something that the Lord values. In fact, you know that he commanded an entire tribe in Israel— the tribe of the Levites, to keep gratitude and thankfulness at the center of their nation, at the center of those people. That was their express job. So let's read in Chronicles 16. This is a lot of scripture, so try to pay attention as we go. It's easy to tune out, I know. Starting in verse 1. They brought the ark of God and placed it inside that special tent David had prepared for it. And they presented burnt offerings and peace offerings to God. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Then he gave to every man and woman in all of Israel a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. For whatever reason in the Message Bible, it says he gave them barbecue. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Wouldn't you you like to have barbecue today if I had barbecue for all of you as I bless you? Verse 4, David appointed the following Levites to lead the people in worship before the ark of the Lord to invoke his blessings, to give thanks, and to praise the Lord, the God of Israel. Asaph, the leader of this group, sounded the cymbals. Second to him was Zechariah. Okay, are you ready for all these names? Oh my goodness. Okay. (laughs) Followed by Jael, Shemarimamoth, Shemalamadingdong. We go together like Shannon. Okay, that's what all these names are. I feel like it should be in a Greece song. Okay, Jehiel, Metathiah, Eliab, Benaiah, Obedidim, and Jael. They played the harps and lyres. The priests, Benaiah and Jehaziel, played the trumpets regularly before the Ark of God's Covenant. On that day, David gave to Asaph and his fellow Levites this song of thanksgiving to the Lord. And we're going to read the psalm in a minute, but I'm going to jump down to verse 37 so that we keep our story sort of in line and what's going on here. So verse 37, David arranged for Asaph and his fellow Levites to serve regularly before the Ark of the Lord's Covenant, doing whatever needed to be done each day. This group included Obed-Edom, some son of Jeduthun, Hosea, and 68 other Levites as gatekeepers. Meanwhile, David stationed Zadok, the priest, and his fellow priests at the tabernacle of the Lord at the place of worship in Gibeon, where they continued to minister before the Lord. They sacrificed the regular burnt offerings to the Lord each morning and evening on the altar set aside for that purpose, obeying everything written in the law of the Lord as he had commanded Israel. David also appointed He-Man. You didn't know he was in the Bible, huh? (laughs) Judithan and the others chosen by name. (laughs) to give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. They used their trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments to accompany their songs of praise to God. And the sons of Jeduthun were appointed as gatekeepers. Then all the people returned to their homes, and David turned and went home to bless his own family. Okay, so we read a lot of scripture. You're like, oh, that's nice. These people, they're sacrificing. That's fantastic. They keep ministering to the people to, before the Ark of the Covenant. But here's the deal. If we don't know the context, 
we're really missing why this story is significant. The verse one starts out with, they brought the ark of God and placed it inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And first off, if we don't investigate, we don't even know who they are. And we're not bought into why this celebration is so significant. So let's talk about the context. What came into this chapter was that Saul, Israel's king, is dead. He was the first king. And instead of it being his son, as normally is passed down, the kingship, David is now king. And in in chapter 12, verse 38, it says that all of the people of Israel agreed that David should be their king. Okay, that's something to celebrate first off, that anybody, a group of people would agree on one thing is a miracle in and of itself. Our elections are never close to 100%, right? (laughs) David decides, not that it was an election, but you see what I'm saying, they all agreed. David decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant, which is a representation into Jerusalem. Why is this significant? Well, all during Saul's kingship, the the Ark of the Covenant hasn't even been mentioned, hardly. It's been sort of stashed away. And David wants to make sure, as he becomes king of Israel, that all of Israel remembers that the Lord is the true king of Israel. So as we read in this account in chapter 16, he's bringing the Ark, the, the presence of God, into Jerusalem. And that's a big deal. But this is not the first time he's tried to do it. If you remember the story of um, when Uzzah dies, the first time that David tries to bring the ark into Jerusalem, things do not go well. He doesn't even consult the Levites, who were the people who were charged to take care of the presence of God. He doesn't even consult them. All he does is kind of think this is a good idea and say, hey, you know, all you guys, yeah, we should do this. And then he just goes for it. And he doesn't show reverence or care for the fact that God had laid out certain ways that this should be done. And Uzzah pays the price. Uzzah dies. But he shouldn't have ever even been in that position. It should have been the Levites who were bringing the Ark of the Covenant in. And God had prescribed a certain way to do that. And Uzzah, had David done it carefully, Uzzah wouldn't have ever even been there. So David is so freaked out after Uzzah dies He's afraid. He's like, oh my goodness, we're just going to stash the Ark of the Covenant. I, I can't even deal with this. He's a little mad that God was mad. He's afraid. All those emotions are going into that. And so he puts it in the house of Obed-Edom for three months. But he watches the house of Obed-Edom as the Ark of the Covenant, the representation for God's presence is at the house of Obed-Edom. He watches how God blesses this home. And so finally he's like, oh, Maybe we should move that back up into Jerusalem like I wanted to do. But this time, he does it right. And this time, the right people are involved. The Levites are the one, and they follow God's plan for it. And so all of that goes into the mood of this chapter 16, that this event has been years in the making. David was uh, anointed by Samuel to be the king years before, as he was a young man, and then he ran from Saul. Remember as we read all the accounts of how Saul wanted to kill him? And so he's finally king, and this is a big big deal. So there's so much emotion into it. First of all, nobody has died. They finally got the ark where it should be, and nobody died. And so as the ark is coming in, it also represents, not only is there so much emotion that this has taken a long time, but they know that finally this represents that we are in right relationship, that God is the centerpiece of our nation and we have the presence of God, we have this blessing. And so all of that is in the mood of that. 
And as we read right before chapter 16, at the end verses of chapter 15, it says this, they gave up shouts of joy, blew ram's horns and trumpets, had crashing cymbals, and played loudly on harps and lyres. And David was skipping about and laughing with joy. This is quite a celebration, right? They've got the whole band there, and David is kind of just skipping about and laughing. I mean, this is the king, right? So you see the ruckus, and some of you probably would just like cover your ears and be like, oh, I have no part of this. This is a little too crazy for me. And yet, this, they are celebrating again that the Ark of the Covenant is where it should be, that it's gotten there, that David's finally king, that God is blessing their nation. And so with that in mind... Then we read the psalm of thanksgiving that he gave to the Levites to sing. So verse 8, give thanks to the Lord and proclaim his greatness. Let the whole world know what he has done. Try to really think about the language of this, the things that he is praising God for as we read this. Sing to him. Yes, sing his praises. Tell everyone about his wonderful deeds. Exult in his holy name. Rejoice, you who worship the Lord. Search for the Lord and for his strength. Continually seek him. Remember the wonders he has performed, his miracles and the rulings he has given. You children of his servant Israel, you descendants of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His justice is seen throughout the land. Remember his covenant forever, the commitment he made to a thousand generations. For the sake of the time, we're going to drop down to verse 27, but you should read it this week because it is, there's all kinds of stuff going into this psalm. It's really beautiful. Honor and majesty surround him. Strength and joy fill his dwelling. O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Verse 32. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the fields and the crops burst out with joy. Let the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For he is coming to judge the earth. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Cry out, save us, O God of our salvation. Gather and rescue us from among the nations so we can thank your holy name and rejoice and praise you. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel, who lives from everlasting to everlasting. And all the people shouted, Amen, and praised the Lord, as if they hadn't already done so. Remember, at the end of 15, they were already playing all their instruments. All the people were gathered in the hilarity, and then they go through and sing this long list of things to praise God about. And then it says, and then they praise the Lord. It's going on and on. They cannot get enough of thanking God. And if you read throughout there, as we read, the psalm reminds us to praise God for who he is, that he is just, that he is full of majesty. Remember the things he's done, it says. Remember the wonders he's performed. And we see that throughout the Psalms and throughout all the scripture in the Old Testament that the writers constantly bring back the nation of Israel to the God. Remember what God did when he brought you out of Egypt? Remember as we crossed the Red Sea? They want to make sure that they tell their children, don't forget all the things that God has done. And it's so important for us to have things in our lives that we can say, we can point to, God did this. We can say that to our kids, to our, uh, the, the kids, whether they're our children or nieces and nephews or people in, that we teach around us. Remember, God has been good. Remember the things he did for us as a family? Let me tell you about this time. So that's what the psalmist does. Remember, he also says, look to God as your salvation. So who God is, what he's done in the past, 
Now let's look to him for who he is. And you might say, when something good is happening, all this praise comes easy. Of course they can praise upon praise upon praise and are going dancing and skipping about. They've just had something awesome happen, and that is amazing. I would do that too if something amazing happened to me. You might say that today. When things are good, though, I would give you a little bit of a reminder. Even when things are good, it's easy to forget gratitude. You're so busy living the good life that you don't stop to think, okay, God, you have done this. You have given this to me. So you might say, what about the hard times? It's easy to praise God and remember all his good deeds. But what about when things are hard? I would say to you, gratefulness is a lens that when we look through it, it changes our circumstances. When we put those glasses on, it changes how we feel because we remember a God who is faithful, who is big, who is walking with us, and we remember that we have hope in him. When we put on the thankful glasses, suddenly you're not just barely making ends meet and worried about where your next meal comes from. With the thankful glasses on, you're remembering, ah, God, I can't believe I'm even sitting here today. You've provided every day for me. I know you're going to do the same. When we put on thankful glasses, instead of being annoyed by that coworker who chatty chats all day long and can't possibly get their work done, we remember that, okay, God, you've put this person in my life, and whether it's for humor that I can inside just be kind of laughing about the silliness, or maybe, just perhaps, God wants you to teach you something through that person in an unexpected way. With thankful glasses on, you're not just stuck in traffic behind somebody who can't possibly seem to go the speed limit. With thankful glasses on, you've been given a little bit of extra time to talk to God. It changes our perspective, which changes, really, our circumstances. Gratitude will refocus our lives if we let it. Because we serve a mighty God who is worthy of our trust and worthy of our gratitude. One of my favorite books of all time is called The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom. And I have read it at least four times, maybe more. And for me, that's a big deal because I don't read a, reread a book ever. I want to move on to the next book and learn the next thing. And so for me to have read this many times tells you how good I think this book is. But it's the true story of Corrie ten Boom and her family during World War II. They lived in Holland during the Nazi occupation, and they hid many, many Jews. They were not Jewish themselves, but they hid many Jews in their home into safety. And um, eventually they were caught for their crimes and taken to a concentration camp just north of Berlin called Ravensbrück. And so in the book, Corey tells about their first night. She and her sister Betsy tells about their first night in their barracks at Ravensbrück. This is a little long, but stick with me because it's really good. Try to just listen in. We lay back, struggling against the nausea that swept over us from the reeking straw. Suddenly, I sat up, striking my head on the cross slats above. Something had pinched my legs. Fleas, I cried. Betsy, the place is swarming with them. Here, oh, another one, I wailed. Betsy, how can we live in such a place? Show us. Show us how. It was said so matter-of-factly, it took me a second to realize that she was praying. 
More and more, the distinction between prayer and the rest of life seemed to be vanishing for Betsy. Corey, she said excitedly, he has given us the answer. Before we asked, he always does. In the Bible this morning, where was it? Read that part again. I glanced down the long, dim aisle to make sure no guard was in sight, and then drew the Bible from its pouch. It was in 1 Thessalonians, I said. In the feeble light, I turned the pages. Here it is. Comfort the frightened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. It seemed written expressly to Ravensbrook. Go on said Betsy. That wasn't all. Oh, yes. Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. That's it, Corey. That's his answer. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's what we can do. We can start right now to thank God for every single thing about this new barracks. I stared at her and then around me at the dark, foul-aired room. Such as, I said, such as being assigned here together. I bit my lip. Oh, yes, Lord Jesus. Such as what you're holding in your hands. I looked down at the Bible. Yes, thank you, Lord, dear Lord, that there was no inspection when we entered here. Thank you for all these women here in this room who will meet you in these pages. Yes, said Betsy. Thank you for the crowding here. Since we're packed so close, then many more will hear. She looked expectantly at me. Corey? She prodded. Oh, all right. Thank you for the jam, crammed, stuffed, packed, suffocating crowds. Thank you, Betsy went on serenely, for the fleas and... The fleas? This was too much. Betsy, there is no way even God can make me grateful for a flea. Give thanks in all circumstances, she quoted. It doesn't say in pleasant circumstances. Fleas are part of this place where God has put us. And so we stood between tiers of bunks and gave thanks for the fleas. But this time, I was sure Betsy was wrong. Each day, Betsy and I made our way to the rear of the dormitory room where we held our worship service. Around our platform area, there was not enough light to read the Bible, but back here, a small light bulb cast a wan yellow circle on the wall, and here an ever larger group of women gathered. They were services like no other these times in Barracks 28. At first, Betsy and I called these meetings with great timidity, but as night after night went by and no guard ever came near us, we grew bolder. So many now wanted to join us that we held a second service after evening roll call. There on the Lagerstrasse, we were under rigid surveillance, guards in their warm wool caps marching constantly up and down. It was the same in the center of the barracks. Half a dozen guards or a camp police always were present. And yet, in the dormitory room, there was almost no supervision at all. And we did not understand it. One evening, I got back to the barracks late from a wood-gathering foray outside the walls. A light snow lay on the ground, and it was hard to find the sticks and twigs with which a small stove was kept going in each room. Betsy was waiting for me, as always, so that we could wait through the food line together. Her eyes were twinkling. You're looking extraordinarily pleased with yourself, I told her. You know, we've never understood why we had so much freedom in the big room, she said. Well, I've found out. 
That afternoon, she said, there'd been confusion in her knitting group about sock sizes, and they'd asked the supervisor to come in and settle it. But she wouldn't. She wouldn't step through the door, and neither would the guards. And you know why? Betsy could not keep the triumph from her voice. Because of the fleas! That's what she said. That place is crawling with fleas. My mind suddenly rushed back to our first hour in this place. I remembered Betsy's bowed head and remembered her thanks to God for the creatures I could see no use for. We're sitting here today, we're safe, we're warm, we're living in a country where we can come in and worship and not fear, and we can't even imagine the evil and the darkness of Ravensbrook. We can't even imagine it. Even more still, we can't imagine how these two sisters could possibly, in the middle of all of that, even still give thanks for little tiny fleas. Why would they do that? How did they do that? I am astounded by Betsy and Corey's ability to just put their hope in Christ and give thanks in all things. That would not be my reaction. I guarantee I'd be crying out to the Lord saying, God, we are treated so horribly. I can't possibly work. God, I hate how I have to lay in this barracks and I have somebody's feet two inches from my, my face as I try to go to sleep at night. And Lord, you can't even take care of these stupid fleas for me? Can't even do that, God? That would be my heart's cry. And yet Betsy, echoing the words of Paul, who had been beaten and imprisoned, over and over and over persecuted, his words and Betsy's words were, give thanks in all things. Before you even see the reason before you can even give thanks that, okay, it's, it's because then people are come to know Christ. Before they knew the why, they gave thanks to a God who they knew could be trusted. And some of you today feel like, how do I give thanks for the fleas in my life? I can't see anything to give thanks for. And trust me, I have been there too. I find it really hard to give thanks for the fact that my dad's not here, that he died, and those circumstances surrounding it. And yet, when I stand here and I pray for you, on a Sunday you come down and you share with me what's going on in your life, I feel with you in a way that I didn't used to. I have compassion. It's not just I pray for you. I feel with you. And so I can say, God, Thank you for the newborn compassion in my life that in this horrible circumstances you have given to me. Give thanks in all things. There's something. Some of you might say, how do I give thanks? How do I forgive what happened in my childhood? There's nothing about it good. And yet, as you look in your little child's eyes who might be struggling with something, you can say, you know, I've been there. This is really hard, but God was with me. And he will be faithful to you too. Give thanks in all things. So if you feel like you've lost joy, start with gratefulness. Become giddy about the hot water at your house. Remember what God has done for you. If you're having trouble trusting the Lord that he is good and that he will take care of you, remember 
all that he has done for you in the past and start with gratefulness for that. If you're having trouble forgiving, start with gratefulness. Remember what you've been delivered from, what you've been given. This is not, this is not simple, or this is not easy, but it is simple. It's not easy at all. We have to choose an act of our will. God, I will give thanks. I will choose to trust in you. Because as we put trust in God, it gives birth to hope. And that all comes about with choosing to put on gratefulness. Let's pray. God, I pray for people in here who are struggling, God, who can't hardly even eke out the words, God, thank you, because they can't hardly see what to thank you for. God, I pray that they would start with gratefulness for all that we have in Christ. And God, for those in here who times are good, their hearts are bursting with gratefulness. God, I pray that they would remember to express it to the people around them, to you, God, so that a world who is dying without hope would see the hope that they have in Christ. God, help us to get this right. Help us to work at this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.